in here can relate to uh, that skit in any way. I spent the last few days working on a vehicle, and I found out that you can't force certain bolts into positions that they were not designed to go in. <laughs> when you set your hand against what God is trying to design in your life, you can even end up with broken knuckles. Yeah, I'm preaching about somebody else's life here, where I'm standing before you with swollen hands, right? Uh, today is August 8th, it's 2010, our message today is called Puzzled, and uh, we wanted to do this as a follow-up to some of the other messages for a reason. About five weeks ago, I began sharing with you about shekels and shirts. Your motivation for serving the Lord cannot be like the Levite in the book of Judges, who simply became a priest for shekels and shirts. Your motivation for serving the Lord must be pure. gave you a quote that has stuck with me, and I hope it stuck with you. It was of the first two Moravian missionaries. They cried out to the people on the shore who had watched them sell themselves into a life of slavery. The lamb that was slain will receive the reward of his suffering. Our motivation for serving the Lord must come from a desire for Jesus to get glory and not personal gain. Then we looked at Zacchaeus' life. Sometimes we have to come down out of our structures of religion and self-sufficiency. Sometimes we have to be willing to lower ourselves to meet Jesus at the spot that He wants to meet us at. And we become forever obedient to Him at that point. Maybe the first time He actually shows up in your house in a meaningful way. Then we looked at Mary, did you know? The answer was, of course not. How is it possible that a mother could have conceived what all would happen through her child? Every little act of obedience that you have has untold ramifications. We looked at the little boy with five loaves and two fishes. Yes, he gave up his lunch, but he fed 5,000 people. Could he have known that? And not just that. That story is feeding people 2,000 years later. This last service, we covered a new thing. How it is often important in our lives to let go of something in the past. Our conceptions of the way God will do something, the way God must do something, the way He's always done it before, to be able to grab hold of God's new thing. A revival in 1700 and a revival in 2100 ought not wear the same clothes. Because God is not a God that is stuck in stone. He's living and active. Our goal in doing these things was to help us with our motivation for serving the Lord. To help us with our methods for serving the Lord. To examine what our expectations are in serving the Lord. With Mary, did you know we even wanted you to be able to think about what it means to receive from the Lord and what that will do in your life. Well, today, my hope in speaking with Puzzled, or speaking to you about Puzzled, is to address those strange situations where God can't be in this. It's not going to work out. You can't see or understand what it is that God is doing. And I know nobody in here has those. <laughs> right? we got one laugh at that. One honest person in the congregation. I know we have some missing families. Maybe they didn't understand what God was doing today. I want to remind you of some scriptures we covered over the last couple of weeks because they're worth reiterating. And if you can't quote them, then I figure I'll just keep reading them to you. It's Isaiah 6.3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. How much of the earth is full of God's glory? The whole earth is full of His glory, and yet we can drive to certain parts of town right now with fabric-free entertainment and satanic entertainment and videos that say that we're made for adults but we're made for devils, and you do not see God's glory. And yet the Bible proclaims the whole earth is full of His glory. Habakkuk 2.14 said this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How wet are the seas? Very wet. A hundred percent saturation. There will be a day when the glory of the Lord that is already all over the earth will be as common in our knowledge as water is wet. This is an important thing. I've been covering it for weeks because if we just learn to look in our situation with a little hope, with a little expectation, if we have the right motivations, if we're willing to receive what the Lord would share rather than hammer our puzzle pieces together, it is glorious. You just have to have eyes to see. This is why Jesus looked out at a crowd and He said, if you have eyes to see, of course they had eyeballs in their head. But sometimes we need to change our perception so that we're tuned in correctly. Maybe my favorite scripture that I've shared with you recently, I have a whole new understanding of, is Hebrews 11.6. While the other two had to do with perception and reality, this one has to do with how you deal with every problem. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I had read that for years and I shared my testimony with you. It was enough then to have faith that He was who He said He is. Must believe that He exists. Must believe that at the end there will be a prize at the end of the race. While all of those things are true, it's not nearly enough. If you can't have faith in a particular situation that you're struggling with now, you cannot be pleasing to God in that situation. If you want to be pleasing to Him, you must first believe He exists in that puzzle. In that situation. You have to believe that His design is intelligent. That it is supernatural. That it is above what you can see. And that you will be rewarded for seeking after Him. I've been sharing these things with you because you are all called. Which means you're struggling to put these pieces together. I've been sharing these things with you because your life has purpose. There are deeds that were prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, puzzle pieces that must be fit together. And all kind of things come to attack the cold. You can be ashamed of something that's happened in your life and try to hide the puzzle piece. And that secrecy gives the devil power over you. You can be so impatient that what you have seen has not yet come about. The picture on the box is not matching the puzzle pieces in front of you. That you can do ugly things. Like try to hammer in pieces where they don't belong. And by the way, what does that do to the puzzle? It doesn't just distort it. It damages all the pieces around you. These are normal Christian struggles. That's why the Word and all of the prophecies this morning encouraged us to abide in His presence. To let Him live in us. To live in Him in the same way that He lives in us. It is such an important thing. These are concepts that we grasp easily and that therein is a problem. When you grasp a concept easily, sometimes you can forget to implement it. 
We call the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Beatitudes. And many can quote them. But we forget to be them. These concepts are much like that. When we encounter trials, struggles, difficulties, when things just don't go like we had envisioned them, it is easy to become disgruntled. It's easy to become upset. Turn with me to Isaiah 42. Believe that He exists in your present situation or difficulty and that He rewards those who seek Him. With all of your heart, struggle against the tendency to hide difficulties, to grow impatient with waiting, or to forcing your way to get what you want. Tell me when you're in Isaiah 43. 2. Isaiah 42. We're going to read nine verses to you. These nine verses are so commonly attributed to certain things that it would be very easy to just kind of tune out. So I'm going to summarize them for you after we read them. Y'all with me? Yes. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Some have said that this is Israel and that is definitely the case. Israel does all of these things. But the personification of Israel the head of Israel, the king of the Jews, is Jesus. So we're obviously speaking about him. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Before we move back into those nine verses, wouldn't it be safe to say that our God is saying, I designed the picture that is your life. I announced it ahead of time. Before it is, before it sprung into being, I declared it. Because I will not share my glory with another. It is to the glory of the puzzle maker when the picture is finished. And it looks as pretty as he intended it to. I want you to think about the things that are mentioned in this. I'm going to name some to you. Pulling them out of the context of Scripture helps you kind of put bullet points to them. Listen to what is said about Jesus as the personification of Israel. He's chosen, delighted in, never falters, islands hope in Him. In other words, the distant reaches of the earth. Covenant to His people. A healer of the blind. The Spirit of God would be upon him. He would bring justice. He would never be discouraged. He would hold God's hand. He would be a light to the world. A freer of prisoners. 
Now aside the fact that every one of those things can be said about Israel, every one of those things can be said about Jesus, every one of those things can be associated with a Christian that's walking in God's will. Every one of them. And yet that's not even what I was thinking about today. Think of how unlikely, how unforeseeable, how puzzling it must be to have heard these things and then have your child born in a manger. How puzzling would that be? Could you say, surely a piece is missing. Maybe I got, maybe I got the puzzle pieces, but they were put into the wrong box. Because there is no way to get there from here. Come on now, have you never felt that way? Though there is no way to get where you have told me from where I'm standing. You don't always assign blame to him. At least I don't always. Sometimes it's, we count him short by saying, you know, the other day, when I was supposed to speak to the bolt and I struck it, I stepped so far out of your will it can't be, uh, can't be fixed. So now you're going to have to redesign my puzzle. This is not the case. Our God is big enough to work through your mistakes. In fact... Not two chapters before this in Isaiah, a couple hundred years before it happens, God names a sinner that will come and rescue the people of Israel. His name was Cyrus. Many names him in the scripture. Hundreds of years before he even lives. Other times in the scripture, like Isaiah 43, he says, yeah, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians and they're going to punish you because you've sinned. But then I'm going to punish them because they were sinners before they came in. (laughs) We serve a God is hundreds of years ahead of you. He told Abraham that his people would go into Egypt and be enslaved for 400 years before the sin of another people that he wanted to displace called the Canaanites was full. Think about the events that got them into Egypt. People had to sin. They had to be sold into slavery. Others had to be righteous and stand up and proclaim what God had said. God worked through every bit of that. He works through sin and failure as well as he works through success. This is how he's a God of mercy. Turn with me to Luke 2. My hope this morning is that as we cover some of these things, no matter how puzzled you are with wherever you are in life, if you're in a great place in life, and many of you are, the next time that valley comes, that instead of standing there and scratching your head like a monkey looking at a computer, flies and gnats circulating around your open mouth because you just can't believe that God would allow this to happen. I want you to realize the empty tomb signifies that it is never too late to fulfill His promise. For almost 2,000 years, promises of Aliyah, the Jewish people going back home, looked like they couldn't occur because there was no home to go to. You ever been in a conversation and there could not be a few seconds of silence because it made both of you uncomfortable so somebody spoke up? In sales, it's a powerful tool. You present somebody with a price and then you wait. And you wait because most people cannot last more than 20 seconds without saying something. And a few like me and some of you who are my friends don't make it 10 seconds without saying something. The idle words are the words between the important words. Like a weed eater. God was willing for there to be an 1800 and some odd year pause 
where it looked like he was a complete failure and couldn't deliver his people. But in our day, from May 14, 1948 forward, we have a nation that is the recipient of those promises. So do you really think that a few months where you just got your head spinning and don't know what's going on is too big of an obstacle for God? How about a few years? The patriarchs on which we have set our lives as patterns waited decades and then did not see the fulfillment of those promises. Guys, we serve a very big God. He designed it before He created you. He had in mind what the picture would look like before He began to cut out the pieces. Boy, isn't that beautiful? It takes some pressure off you. Your job is simply to live in His presence and let Him put together those pieces. A forceful man lays hold of the kingdom. This is true. But a forceful man is not the one who tries to cram his will into God's. Forceful means that you force your will out and do only God's will. What an easy thing to say. (laughs) What an easy thing to say. But as soon as it doesn't go Eric's way, frustration sets in. Something other than the Spirit of God tends to fill. It takes a forceful man to put down your flesh. Any coward can yield to his flesh all day, every day. Any fool can give full vent to his anger. That's exactly what happens when you give full vent to your anger. You in Luke 2? Yes. All right, you know he was born in a manger, so let's pick up in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Circumcision was the sign that you were a Jewish person in the commonwealth of Israel. And so when you enter the commonwealth of Israel, when you put the ring on your finger, if you will, the sign of marriage, you were given a name. Your name was supposed to be your function. Jews waited eight days to name their children. They waited eight days because they were to pray about the function of the child, and the names were prophetic. And what does Jesus' name mean? Yahweh's salvation. Wow. On the eighth day, he's named Yahweh's salvation. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Looks like God had a plan for this baby before he was even born. His function was declared by angels before mom and dad even perceived it. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That's funny. I thought the Lord just presented him to them. They're they're going back to hold up the baby that God just gave them to present him before the Lord. Could you imagine time of purification? She has a baby for seven days. She's considered ceremonially unclean. She can't even fellowship with the people in her own family. For 33 more days, she's considered unclean because she gave birth to a boy. I don't know why God designed it that way. I just trust the puzzle maker. If it had been a girl, which is obviously not possible in this story, it would have been 80 days. What a time to contemplate what your child will do. And what had angels told her? What had people told her? What had the prophecy said? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. She knew the prophecies from Isaiah. She knew all of the things that were being implied when a virgin was giving birth. What a time to contemplate that. 
Every firstborn must be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. You know, if you read Leviticus 12 very closely, it outlines the time that you're unclean for a boy or for a girl. It outlines that you have to dedicate the baby. And when you do, for your purification and for the baby's dedication, it says you must bring a lamb and a dove. It says you must bring. You have to skip down three or four verses to around the eighth verse to the place where it says, but if you are too poor and you can't afford a lamb when you have a baby born, God would accept two doves or two pigeons. The king of the universe, somebody who is chosen, delighted in, never fault. The islands put their hope in him, a covenant to the people, healer of the blind, God's spirit on him, a bringer of justice, somebody never discouraged, holding God's hand, a light to the world, a freer of prisoners, was not just born in a manger. He was born to two parents that apparently had such poverty that they could not afford to give a single lamb in celebration of his birth. God wouldn't do that, would he? Lord, you've called me to this, but I don't see any way. There's no resources. Lord, you've put me out here all by myself and there's nobody to help me. God wouldn't do that, would he? What a puzzling situation. You know, we're 2,000 years past this. But you have to have to guess. This woman is 10 years younger than Debbie. And she's pregnant, not for her second time. For her first time. She's never even experienced what husbands and wives experience. Limited in every fashion. What is she supposed to think? You think she might be puzzled? Oh, I bet so. Look who God chooses to speak to these people. Look at the 25th verse. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation, the making whole of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon means one who hears from God. Church history tells us that this was an elderly, elderly man. He waited his entire life. His life's function was to announce that the one who would bring the consolation of Israel is here. And how does God present him with that deliverer? In a crowded temple with thousands of people. 
people bringing offerings, the bleeding of goats, little lambs, the cutting of throats, all kind of bloody things going on. This elderly man that has waited his whole life, is it today? No. Is it today? No. 365 times a year for maybe as many as a hundred years. And it has never been the day. Something's different in the temple today. I feel a presence I haven't felt in years here. I'm beginning to see puzzle pieces come together. Lots of trying to fit, and lots of trying to fit, and it never fit. Lots of trying. I, I had to force sometimes and then pull back. Other times I wanted to throw a piece away because it never fit. But today, something is different. The pieces are sliding into place. I see a picture, and it's not what I expected to see. He didn't come in in a Merkava tank. The man could not die until his purpose was done. Come on now. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. You cannot die. Until your purpose is done. The only exception to that is when you run out of His presence and make yourself liable to destruction. But if you are struggling for Him, you will not perish until the Lord's purpose for you is done. He may pick you up from one state and throw you to another. He may pick you up from one country and throw you to another. He may move people in and out of your life. You will not perish until His purpose for you is done. It may require you to do something crazy. How crazy would this be? Oh Lord, here comes the old guy that's been telling us he'll be here until the Lord returns. I'm beginning to believe him. I've never seen anybody this old in my life. <laughs> What's he doing? He's talking to a carpenter. Aren't those the two that, you know, something's wrong with? What's he doing? What's he got to take in his hands? He's taking something that's a baby, but it won't stay that way forever. It's more like a seed to the tree of life. Because it's going to grow and it's going to produce fruit. Sometimes our purpose starts as something as small as a baby. Just like when you're putting together pieces of a puzzle. It's got to start with the first two that connect. When you connect with the vision that God has for you, and you begin to get a sense that he's orchestrating the pieces. You're no longer puzzled. You're just excited waiting for the next connection. Simeon called this man a light to the Gentiles. Jesus proclaimed about himself 33 years later, I am the light of the world. Another way to say world is Gentiles. It's everywhere outside of Israel. Simeon saw in the baby standing before him his life's purpose because he felt that connection. He called him a glory to Israel. Now I'm assuming Simeon died right after this. But if he had lived for the next 33 years, other times he might have thought this man was not a glory to Israel. See, what he knew in faith, what he could see the picture on the box, what he had a Holy Ghost revelation of, history would do nothing but challenge. This is what it's like to receive a call from God. 
you have a divine moment, a connection. You can see before you a baby, but you don't see him as a baby. You see it as the full-blown fulfillment of God's vision. You know that you won't die until it's finished. And yet everything in your life will challenge that perception. And your natural eyes will lie to you all of the time. Because he's going to see Jesus at 13 years old in the temple if he was still alive. What's going on? Where's parents? His parents can't even keep track of him. How's he going to grow up into who he's supposed to be? He's going to see him at 30 years old announcing his ministry and not too much fanfare. He's going to hear people speaking negatively about him. One day who would have lived to see him beaten publicly. What would that have been like? Well, it would have been like every dream that God has given you during those moments where it looks like it can't happen. You believe a baby's coming. You're making baby clothes. But every month your period shows instead. You believe that you're starting a church and you invite your neighbors, but they say no. You start a conversation in a coffee shop with someone about Jesus and they tell you, yeah, I was a pastor, now I'm a real estate agent. Because nobody needs to start another church in Sugar These are all of those moments between the baby and the man. These are all of those moments where you can simply be puzzled. Look at Luke 2, verse 33. Oh, by the way, I don't want to go back through this story. But if you ever have the chance to look at Jacob blessing his sons, Jacob blessing his sons, says in Genesis 49, 18, that he longed for the salvation of the Lord. Jacob, speaking with Joseph when he entered Israel, when Israel entered into Egypt, said, now your servant can go to the grave in peace, for my eyes have seen that you're alive. See, there are always these moments where you see something with your eyes that has not yet really happened. And then you have to long for salvation. And there are years in between. Everything that Simeon said, Jacob said about the nation. Jacob was speaking about a nation. Simeon was speaking about a little boy. And in the scripture, you can scarcely tell the difference between the two. Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. The word marvel in Greek, tomazontes. Sounds like Spanish, doesn't it? Eh? Tomazontes means to be filled with wonder, to be perplexed, to be astounded. They heard all of these things spoken about their son, but how could any of it be true? They had no money. He had just been born eight days earlier in a manger. Their hometown was not exactly holding out the ticker tape parade for the birth of the child. And, by the way, there's a giant gap in the preschool that he's going to attend. Because at the time of his birth, nearly every other boy his age was murdered. 
So how is this child going to do all of these great things? I bet they were puzzled. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow, what a mixed blessing, huh? It's kind of like what said to Paul. Come unto me and I will show you what you must suffer for my name. For I will bring you before kings and rulers of the Gentiles. And you will be a light to the Gentiles. Kind of like a carrot and a stick, huh? You need to know that the reason most fall away is little petty offenses, hurt feelings, things that are clouded in ambiguity but called miscommunications. Sneak in and give them an excuse to not do what is hard to do. That is, see the vision start at a baby and end up a man. And most don't do it. I believe you're here because you will do it. I want to talk to you about Anna. Where Simeon's name means hearing, Anna's name in Hebrew is Hana. By the time they translate it through Greek and then to English, Hana becomes Anna. It means grace. When we are in puzzled situations, hearing from God and believing that you're in His unmerited favor, we'll see you through. When you don't know what else to do, you resort to, I know you exist in this situation, and you will reward me for simply trying to stay close to you, whether you understand it or not. And that is enough, saints. That will carry you through. Listen to what Miss Hannah says. Oh, yeah, let me. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Edersheim's history of the Jews says some interesting things about the tribe of Asher. Asher does not come back out of Babylon. There's no record of the tribe of Asher being reestablished after Babylon. And yet there are all of these prominent families that are from the tribe of Asher that are in Israel. Edersheim says it and Josephus mentions it. He says they were the best looking women in Israel. So the whole tribe didn't get reestablished. But the beautiful women sure did. And guess who? Guess, guess what? Guess what the rabbinical ruling was on the intermarrying of tribes? It's okay for Asher to intermarry with Levites. <laughs> yeah, how about that? This woman was presumably one of the prettiest families in Israel. She was very old. Friends, when the Bible says somebody is very old, you really have to look hard at that. Because the Bible had Adam was 954 years old. Methuselah was 969 years old. Abraham's 175 and still having babies. Very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until NIV says she was 84. You may have a text note there that just says she was a widow for 84 years. There is no justification in the Greek here for saying that she lived for seven years with a husband and then lived until she was 84 years. What the Greek says is she lived 
for seven years with her husband, and then 84 more years. Well, why did NIV do this? They're trying to translate what they think is a thought. And they don't think that the writer of the scripture would insinuate that she was way over 100 years old. That didn't seem practical to them. So they had an alternate reading. It's possible, just not likely. Let's suppose that she got married at 15, right? Pretty common in biblical days. And then seven years with her husband made her 23. Then 84 more years makes her 107. She's very old. Maybe so old that she even has a hard time seeing. Legend says that she was blind. So she's blind and she's working in the temple. And she's been there. Now the scripture doesn't say she resides at the temple, but it, it implies it. If she was blind, that is a real possibility. She's working there. She feels a need to hang on. I mean, all of her friends are gone. All of her family, gone. It's just her and the Lord. And why does she wake up each day? Well, she just feels a need to hang on a little more. And one day, without the aid of even her sight, because her sight can deceive you, she feels a presence in the temple that she hasn't felt in some time. And then she hears her friend Simeon in the distance, the only other weird old person there. And somebody said, he's on the other side of the temple, he's got a baby in his arms. And he's saying something about the baby, and she says, would you lead me over there? feel the presence of the Lord. Boy, she had waited a long time for that day. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Does that sound like a self-indulgent life? What do you think she lived for? If she lived at the temple and what is said about her character is that her mama named her Grace, unmerited favor. She spent her days praying and fasting. Sounds like a person possessed in a good way of the power of the Lord. I didn't give you a testimony earlier that I meant to. It now seems like an appropriate time. Jessica has come all the way from Louisiana to be with us and with no small amount of opposition pastor of the church that she used to go to thinks that speaking in tongues is something that is of the devil. The ministers in the college group that she attended agreed with the pastor. They texted her, denounced her. It seems that one of those ministers in the college group went to a meeting not knowing what to expect and left speaking in other tongues. Texted her an apology and then promised to take some of her friends to the same meeting. And since the pastor of the church is committed in his way and unable to grab onto a new thing, it looks like that church will be a few lighter Sunday to Sunday. God will put together your puzzle pieces. I left a woman in Lafayette, Louisiana, two weeks after baptizing her. 
sure that I was feeding her to the wolves. She's just about taken over Lafayette. <laughs> God will put together the puzzle pieces. Stood next to Mandy and prayed with her for years. Most of you did too. Waiting, where's this husband you promised? All of us were encouraged at prophecies and slightly embarrassed by them because they hadn't yet come to pass. We were waiting. She sits today with her husband, teaching us about puzzle pieces. Kelsey stood in a place in Dallas, his life come undone, and yet he stands before us, God putting together puzzle pieces. And in the end, it will all be just as pretty as God ever said it would be. It just comes at the cost of your obedience. But that's where we started this message. The lamb that was slain will receive the reward of his suffering. He paid for your obedience. He paid for it. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for, forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What kind of things are spoken over Jesus? The consolation of Israel? The redemption of Jerusalem? Do you know how unimaginable these concepts were at the time they were spoken. This would be no different than somebody saying, Cherokee, man, is that one of the things in your family? There's so many. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever ethnicity you can think of, we just described a man. <laughs> this would be as silly as one of the American Indian tribes today in their present numbers overthrowing the United States. It would. That's, that's what this is like. The redemption of Jerusalem. Do you know who occupies Jerusalem? There's a fortress called Diana built onto the temple, overlooking it, higher than, overshadowing it. These people lived their lives to proclaim something that must have seemed absurd. And yet they felt a certain connection, like puzzle pieces were going together. Friends, we live for these Sometimes all I can tell someone is, I'm sorry, friend. I don't feel that connection. So, well, you're saying I'm in sin and you're denouncing. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I have learned to live my life by the leading of the Spirit. And in some places, I simply feel it fits. And in others, I feel like it would be a force. Set you free to go do whatever you want to do. But what you're asking, you can't do here. We're a church that is built to raise up ministries. But only the ministries God has sent to us to raise up. Amen. Not to manipulate them. Not to control them. Not to overlord them. To literally say, start a church in that building over there. We'll pay the first month's rent. Whatever it takes. And yet, at times we have to say, I'm sorry. You see yourself as a youth pastor and you may be. But not here. Just don't feel the connection. Sometimes they're incredibly talented. Sometimes in every way it looks like a perfect fit. But how did Anna know who this baby was? Is it what her eyes told her? Or what something inside of her said? See, we have to learn to be led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. You can find that written in Romans 8. So this woman's 107 years old. She's probably blind. But she proclaimed something that the entire religious establishment failed to see. 
I don't want to go back and preach old messages, but why do you think they failed to see it? When God first told them that something was coming, they probably envisioned it a certain way. You know, the Lord spoke to me in 1993. I've told you all that story too many times to tell it again today. But i got to tell you that what He spoke to me, I envisioned immediately. And this does not look like it, and yet, I can feel that it is. I was crouching behind this very building in tears, overwhelmed with stress. I think it was the first weekend we, we completed the construction. And I realized it had been 15 years to the day since he told me I would pastor a church. Yeah. Didn't look like the church that I envisioned. The only kind of churches I had ever been in were things that I now I'm not sure are churches. <laughs> I didn't know back then. The word church never, not one time in all of the scripture applies to a building. It only applies to people. I didn't know that back then. I didn't know Jesus' name in Hebrew. I couldn't quote any more verses than maybe the Roman road to salvation. I knew such little things, but I knew that I'd made a connection with the Lord. There was a baby born. I was pregnant with a promise. Now from that time till now, and I'm surely not about to die, that time to now, have there been discouragements, puzzled moments? Of course, just like your life. But forceful men lay hold of the kingdom. You take hold of your ability to hear from God. You know that you stand in grace. You believe He exists in that situation. And you soldier on. I want to tell you about two mothers. This would be a tale of two moms. And I got two moms, one on each side of Charlotte, right there, that worked perfect for this. One of these women, let's just say for a moment, Natalie, is married. She's waiting for the rising and falling of many is in Israel. She knows that her heart's going to be pierced with a sword. So the baby that she's just dedicated to the Lord, she knows will cause many to rise, many to fall, and her heart to be pierced with a sword. She happens to know another woman. She feels bad for her because this other woman... Is already having problems with her son. That's Debbie. Debbie is on her face day and night saying, Lord, whatever it takes. I mean, whatever it takes, I just want my son to serve. Mighty God, I, I'll do anything. I'll try to teach him. I'll do whatever it takes. But as they grow, Mary's son grows in faith, wisdom and stature with the Lord and with men. Well, the other woman's son, let's just say Debbie, is constantly in trouble. In today's terms, maybe he's in juvenile detention. You're praying for him to get out, praying that anything in his life would draw him towards the Lord. Lord, whatever it takes. And he comes to church but doesn't like it, and he leaves. Next thing you hear, he's stolen a car. He's in jail. You feeling bad for her yet? Meanwhile, Mary's son is healing. He's raising the widow of Nain's son from the dead. People are starting to wonder, could it be the Christ? But you're excited because you hear about Debbie's son and he got paroled. So, I mean, could be hope for him now. And you're praying for him. You're hoping he'll come to church. And on the Sunday he was supposed to come to church, he got picked up on a drug charge. 
Well, some people are just destined to fail, you know. How would that feel? What if you're looking at those two mothers? Fast forward a little bit in time. He gets out one more time. But this time he shoots the convenience store clerk. Trash. It's never going to amount to anything. Been better if he hadn't been born. Now he's got a death sentence. What's happening with Mary's son? Well, the crowd that once followed him have now turned on him. They're accusing him of treason. Go pick up with me in Luke 23. Tell me when you're there. Luke 23, I would like to read with you from the 32nd verse. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. What Anna had prophesied, what Simeon had prophesied, what Isaiah had prophesied, and what angels announced was now being assaulted in the bloody, brutal death of Mary's son. What is Mary thinking standing there? How is this the rising and falling of many? How is this anything other than a sword piercing my heart? Lord, how does this puzzle piece go together? Earlier she remembered a time where she had set out to take hold of Jesus. She thought he was out of his mind. And she better jerk a knot in him or else it wasn't going to work. And he didn't listen to her. Maybe he made a mistake, she must have thought. She knew one thing. He was innocent of this crime that they're causing, that they're accusing him of. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You ever heard the scripture? The parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Anybody tells you about generational curses or demonic boogeymen that are in your family because your great-granddaddy was an idiot? <laughs> Jesus already drank your sour grapes. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. Lord, you had told us that he would be a king. You told us that he would be the chosen one, that even the far-off nations would put their hope in him. But now it's only said... In mockery, what must Mary have felt like? You think she was the only crying woman there? You ever seen somebody and wondered, wow, that was some mother's son at some point. You cross a guy under a bridge here in Houston. He smells of urine. He's begging you for money. And he's trembling because of some addiction. That was some mother's son. She might be home saying, Lord, whatever it takes. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. You hear that? One criminal is insulting him but asking for salvation. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Two men there, both that want salvation, but one that only ridicules, the other who humbles himself. Maybe because it's like Debbie's child. Maybe his mama had prayed while he was incarcerated. Maybe she had hoped for good things for him. Maybe she had said, Lord, whatever it takes. Who could have ever thought that that puzzle piece would be put together in the last hours of his life with the words, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He committed some crime. A crime which he admits he was guilty of. Where does shame fit into your puzzle? He had committed a crime. He had waited years just to be killed. Where does waiting fit into your puzzle? Committed a crime, presumably a violent one. Where does forcing fit into your puzzle? And yet God was big enough to see this man saved in the last hours of his life. The same way that he put Israel back together after thousands of years. The same way that he raises his son from the dead. The same way that he will be faithful to fulfill your vision, even if it looks like it's dead. I'm trying to encourage you that in those puzzled moments in your life, you need to stand back, try to hear from God, stand in grace, but above all else, know without faith it is impossible to please God. You must know that he exists in this situation. That he will reward you if you seek him. Mark 9, 23-24 tells us the right attitude. Go ahead and turn that. A father with an impossible problem. A father who the disciples let down completely. A father who had a son with an infirmity. A demonic problem. And even the disciples couldn't help. So Jesus begins to speak to him. Look at verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood he answered, It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Look at Jesus' response. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. This needs to be an attitude when our puzzle pieces don't fit together. Not, Lord, if you can fix this. We need to say, Lord, I believe you exist in this situation. And like the man's next sentence, I do believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Acknowledge that it's hard for you. Acknowledge that you don't see the ways that it goes together. But trust Him. And act like you trust Him. Don't assault God's character for your pride. Instead, in the midst of your darkest hour, say, Though I fall in my enemy, do not gloat over me. For though I have fallen, yet I will rise again. Light will break forth for me. And quote Micah 7 8. You remember what was said to Mary? She said, How can this be? She said, The power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. In Luke 1 37, she said, he said to her, everything is possible for the Lord. Everything is possible. You may never have chosen to be the mother in the story that I illustrated Debbie with. In 
yet if at the end your son is with you in paradise, then there's still hope. Our God is not slack in keeping his promises. He's not slow as some understand slowness. He's just patient, waiting on all the pieces of the puzzle to come together. Our last scripture today will come from the book of 2 Kings. There was a very unique relationship between the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. When Jewish kids grew up in the first century, they grew up with a special chair in the room at Passover. It was the Elijah chair. Because the rabbis had taught that Elijah would precede the Messianic age. Jesus affirmed it. He said, to be sure, Elijah comes. Elijah was a hero like anybody would envy. Elijah called down a fire from the skies. Elijah raised people from the dead. And a young protege named Elisha followed him around. And he wanted one thing more than any other. He wanted to do the things that Elijah did, but he wanted to do them twice as much. Being surrounded by young disciples, I know exactly what that must feel like. Probably Elijah hoped for nothing more than that would happen. It would be good for Israel. So he said, if you see me when the chariot comes, if you see me when I'm taken, then you'll get what you have passed. This was a lot to live up to. Aside from normal prophecies, aside from words of knowledge, Elijah did seven absolutely undeniable, definable, major miracles in his lifetime. Seven. So Elisha saw Elijah taken up in a chariot of fire. He got his cloak when he went. To show that he did, in fact, receive Elijah's anointing. He did the things that Elijah did. Elijah had taken care of a widow. Elisha does the same thing. Elijah had raised a widow's son from the dead. Elisha does the same thing. One had slapped the Jordan going across from west to east, and it split and became dry ground. The other slapped the Jordan going from east to west with his coat, and the water split, and it became dry ground. And miracle after miracle, similar in every way, and they stack up nicely. And then Elisha continues to go. He's eclipsed seven miracles. He's eclipsed eight miracles, then nine, then ten, then eleven, then twelve, then thirteen. Surely, surely, this man's going to get everything that he was promised. I've seen the picture on the edge of the box. I've never seen a more faithful puzzle maker. Surely it'll look that way, but there's just one piece missing. No number 14. That one unicorn hanging out there. The Lord said it. I've never seen it. Can I really trust it? He lied to me about this. What was all that other stuff? And Elisha dies. 13 miracles. 13 divided by 2 or multiplied by 0.5. We're not coming up with twice the mantle. 2 Kings 13. 21st verse. No, 20th verse. There. 
Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, when some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. If it takes a resurrection from the dead for God to put your puzzle pieces together, He will do it. He is faithful even when you're not. You heard me say earlier, He could not die until the Lord's word was fulfilled. Maybe I should have said He could not die for good. Because my God, my God might even let you die before it's all done. But he'll bring you back to life if that's what it takes. This is the kind of faith that causes a puzzled Abraham to raise a knife over his son and not shy away from what the puzzle maker told him. He reasoned in his heart, Hebrews said, if I kill him, God must be going to raise him from the dead because I have seen the picture. Saints, stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I want to...